Hello and welcome to Takeover Tuesday. I'm your host, Dermot Buffini. And as you know, once a month I take over the Brian Buffini Show and I interview people that have been there and done that. People who have achieved superior performance in different areas of life. Now, last month on Takeover Tuesday, you heard from a good friend of mine, one of America's top CEOs, Greg Lucier. Now, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to The DNA of Success. It's episode number 104. Greg had so much great stuff to share, and I think you'll get a lot of great information out of that. Now, as I said on that podcast, you know, I was introduced to Greg through a game of golf, and Greg had been the CEO of a publicly traded company for over 11 years, and I was a new CEO, and I wanted to ask him for some of his tips some ideas and he was a great source of information mentorship and in our lunch he said to me he said you know what you need to meet a friend of mine someone who I've worked with for many many years had great success with in every one of our companies and I think he'd be a great person for you to meet with as you're talking about the work that you do and thinking about it for the future and ultimately at the end of the day you help people and you're going to grow and you're going to be successful because of how well your people at Buffini and Company do so he introduced me to our guest today, Mr. Pete Letty. Now, Pete has served on so many incredible companies as an executive in an advisory capacity, major, major brands from Pepsi to Dell. And we're going to dig into some of his successes and the organizations that he's helped. He also has a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology. Now, basically what that means is, is that Pete's expertise is helping companies achieve their highest potential by developing its people. And what I love about Pete is that he just doesn't have a head for business. He has a tremendous heart for people. And Pete's here today in the studio with us to give us some routines, some tips, some methodologies for success, both personally and professionally. So whether you're a high schooler, a college student, a person who has a thriving career, a small business owner wanting to grow your business, or an executive of a Fortune 500 company, today's episode will have tremendous information for you. So Pete, Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dermot. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, we had Greg on last time on Takeover Tuesday, and you're his wingman. You're the guy who has helped develop so many of the organizations that Greg has led, and you've been a great help to me over the years, and I think it's a great opportunity to have you come in and let our audience listen to some of the conversations that we've had. And, you know, you've had an incredible career. You've worked with major organizations, global brands. You've been the high flyer and as an executive. But you didn't start there. You didn't grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth, did you? Certainly not. Where did you grow up and what was your early life like? I was like? born in uh, the city of Chicago, the great city of Chicago, raised in uh, a northern suburb, Niles, uh, kind of a blue-collar community. Uh, Cubs fan, by All the right. way. I'm a north sider. Sorry, south siders. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, my father was a teacher, a coach for over 40 years in the Chicago public school system. My mother and my father met in high school, Kelvin Park High School in Chicago. Mm. Uh, had 10 beautiful children, wonderful. Yes, I said 10. And your number? I'm eight, seven wow. boys, three girls. And as my mother used to say, the toilet seat was always <laughs> up in our house. But uh, she is just, uh, she was a gem of a human being. I spoke very softly with a raspy voice. And uh, when she looked at you, I mean, 10 kids how do you manage that right so yeah, right. you do it through 
subtleties yeah. and not always having to yell. And she learned that skill early on, whereas my dad was just the opposite. <laughs> so, But he had a wonderful career in the public school system and taught me and a lot of my siblings about life. Both mm-hmm. of them did. Mm-hmm. You got an early start on organizational development and uh, watching it from your parents organizing 10 kids, but also the behavior patterns of other individuals and how to successfully survive. I'm one of six, but yeah. I can't imagine what one of 10 was yeah. like. Yeah, it gets worse. So... <laughs> But a good breeding ground. So oh. tell me about um, what sort of kid were you? I know you, you did really well in sports. Your humble beginnings, you were a baseball player, right? Yeah, baseball, basketball, and football. But primarily my sport was baseball. I was left-handed. So your, oh, yeah. the number of positions you could play in baseball get diminished significantly. So early on, my father being a coach said, hey, listen, you got some talent. And kind of under his tutelage developed me into, from a very young age, a, a pitcher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is the one position on the field where you're touching the ball mm-hmm. for half of an inning every play. Mm-hmm. And for that, I'm grateful because you learn so many life lessons mm-hmm. from that kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. So, and it was good enough to get you to college. It was. I went to Creighton University on a full scholarship. For me, coming from the family I came from, my dad didn't make very much money, but uh, he and I understood at a very young age that I needed to do something mm-hmm. in order to go get a college degree. Mm-hmm. It was going to be difficult for us to afford, so I worked my butt off mm-hmm. on the baseball field and in the classroom. Because it wasn't going to be given to you, right? It there wasn't going to be given. You are going to have it. Yeah. yeah. So how did you choose your major? So, interesting story. I was an accounting major my first semester, I guess, when you're applying as a high schooler in accounting, you got to determine a major. Mm-hmm. And at 18, it's kind of difficult, so I chose accounting. I thought, hey, you know, people make some good money in accounting. I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I did that is I had a teacher in high school who I had talked to. It was my psychology professor. I said, hey, listen, I'd like to go into psychology. He goes, oh, you're never going to make any money in, in psychology. And you know what I did? I actually listened to him. <laughs> so that's how I went into accounting. <laughs> first so mistake. After the first semester in accounting, I was like, ah, this yeah. is not for me. Mm-hmm. And I went to the psychology department. first person I ran into was someone by the name of Dr. Rich Millard, who was an industrial and organizational psychologist. And I said, I love business, and I love people, and I love human behavior. He goes, get in my office. And that was the beginning of wow. a 20-year mentorship. Mm -hmm. We had mentorship protege relationship Mm -hmm. between the two of us. And as they say, the rest is kind of history. I found my love. Well, you know, I have a PhD also, by the way. I don't know if you know that. No, I don't. It's more to do with being poor, hungry, and determined. That's kind of my my degree. But, you know, to get a PhD, how long did it take you? Six and a half years. Wow. That that includes a master's degree. So master's and then PhD. How much of that was to do with the or maybe it was a combination, how much of it was to do with kind of like the learning, going deeper with the learning, or was it combined with opportunity, or what was the motivation behind digging in for a PhD? Uh, The motivation was I wanted to be a psychologist. Mm. And you're never really known as a psychologist if you have a master's degree, Mm. good or bad. It's Mm. not me making that judgment, but I wanted to be known as Dr. Letty, a psychologist, Mm -hmm. a business psychologist, Mm -hmm. an expert in human behavior. And I knew the PhD would give me that kind of validation. Mm -hmm. To this very day, I don't like the salutation before my name. That's not why I really did it. I wanted validation, though, that I could sit there and hopefully bring my expertise Mm -hmm. and and help other people achieve Mm -hmm. their dreams. That's ultimately kind of why I did that. But you are a doctor. I am. You're able to prescribe a remedy 
a solution for companies and for people to get better. That's what drives me. Right. That's what I want to kind of dig in here today a little bit because, you know, as I said, you know, you've worked with Pepsi, Dell, Life Technologies, TaylorMade Golf. You're now at Nuvasive. And I love your title, which is you're the Vice President of People and Culture at Nuvasive. And obviously, Greg is the CEO of that company. You guys are doing great things and transforming the world of the spinal surgery business. But I just want to kind of dive into, I mean, this show is all about the mindset, motivation, and methodologies of success. And you definitely have been there and done that. And, you know, you've seen what it looks like at the top. You've probably seen what it looks like at the bottom, too. But what is the mindset you found of a successful individual? Yeah. I think before I go into what the mindset is, Dermot, I think it's important, at least for me, to share my philosophy with your listeners on what do we mean by success. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's not about salary. It's not about bonus. It's not about title. It's not about office size. It's not about you fill in the mm-hmm. blank on mm-hmm. potentially superficial materialistic things. That's my philosophy. Success for me means an individual's actually doing what he or she aspires to do. Mm. That is Mm -hmm. success. Now, Mm -hmm. that could be working and and having a great career in a publicly traded company. That could be working and have a great career in the educational environment, giving back to students. It could be working and serving your country in a military situation. Mm. It could be anything. Fill in the blank. It's Mm -hmm. whatever that individual aspires to want and do with his or her life. That's great. Well, you've just taught me something, which is my first question should be, what's your definition of success? So thanks. That's a great definition of clarity because there's so many different understandings of what success is. And a lot of times that success and the pursuit of what the world tells you is success can leave an individual feeling very empty on a personal level. certainly agree. I think that is one of the dynamics we all think we know what success means and that it's universal in nature and actually it's just the opposite and that's where the leaders sometimes in direct reports or others in their organization are on separate wavelengths Mm -hmm. because a leader assumes that it's listen this is everybody wants upward mobility and this and that and the other thing and and a lot of individuals don't necessarily want that Mm -hmm. so understanding what is at the root motivational level Mm -hmm. of an individual is very important. Mm. To the mindset piece related to that level and definition of success is what is your purpose Mm -hmm. as an individual? What is it you want to go and set out and to achieve? Mm -hmm. That is number one. Mm -hmm. You need to really define that. And two is building the capability yourself, Mm -hmm. your skill set, your knowledge, your skills, your abilities, Mm -hmm. become dedicated to fulfilling that purpose. And then I think last, you know, the successful mindset relates to the ability to focus and execute. Mm -hmm. And if you have dreams, the purpose that you want to fulfill, but you don't have a plan and you certainly never execute, then -hmm. you're a dreamer. Mm -hmm. If you have no purpose, but you are out there day to day, hunkering down, getting X, Y, Z done, getting tactics done, getting projects done Mm -hmm. without a vision or a purpose, then in some respects, you're a bit rudderless. Mm -hmm. And it potentially, for some people, could lead to a less meaningful Mm -hmm. life and career. Yeah, that's great. What I heard you say is, number one is understand your purpose. What do you want to achieve? Why are you here? What are you trying to do? What are you aspiring to? Number two, create the environment and the structure to pursue that. And number three is don't get distracted, focus and execute on it. That's it. 
Now, so that kind of leads me into my next question, because organizationally, the successful mindset, I mean, there's so much I could ask you about that. Is how do you find your purpose? Mm-hmm. You know, is there an exercise? Is there something that you've seen people who do it well? Or, you know, what do they do to seek that? Or is that just something that you kind of pay attention to and keep a notepad handy so that just you're living life and going along? You're like, oh, that feels like it. That's not it. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of resources out there. But at the end of the day, people, regardless of who you are in this world, you have an understanding of what turns you on and what turns yeah, you off. Right. And you've got to engage others in your journey mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and help them tease this out. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you really need to get clear and commit. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, not good or bad, but otherwise you're going to live mm-hmm. a bit of a suboptimized existence. Mm-hmm. And that's okay for some mm-hmm. people. I'm not, you know, yeah, this is Pete sure. Letty sure. giving you my, you my bias. Yeah. And quite frankly, even at the organizational level, the same descriptors, yeah. they apply. Yep. At the individual leader and organizational level, I mean, mm-hmm. an organization has to have a purpose. Right. They have to have the capabilities and mm-hmm. the plan to move forward, and certainly they better focus and execute. Right. Otherwise, it's yeah. not a sustainable business. And that alignment is, is critical. It's critical. Now, what I hear you also say in that, the fact that as a leader of a company, over 200 employees, you know, I think we really do pay attention to our staff. We have a thing called a heritage profile, which kind of identifies their attributes, their gifts, a lot of times in, in hiring people, we want to hire people based on where their gifts lie rather than have them be a, a round peg in a square hole. It's like, you know, I think I got that the other way around. But but basically to align them with their gifts and their abilities towards the accomplishment of our purpose. So the second part of the question is the mindset of successful organization. I mean, obviously, the goal of the leader then should be to pay attention to their folks. Yeah. And vice versa. Success in a business isn't something that happens to you. It's something that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. Leaders and those who work within the organizational structure for leaders Mm -hmm. need to come together holistically in the three areas we just talked Mm -hmm. about. It can't be leadership is being done to you and Mm -hmm. you're a passive recipient. Mm -hmm. I want to get back to the individual here in a second as regards to motivation and how do you motivate people and how do you keep motivated. But I kind of want to jump down a little bit to how do we, as an organization... I'm working with others. What are some of the things that we can do as kind of, you know, the bumpers to make sure that we stay on track with that? Because, you know, as an organization, our mission is to impact and improve the lives of people. And it's not if you're going to get lost in that. Sometimes you're going to lose sight of that. Sometimes it's like you get busy over here and you're like, okay, what the heck? Now I'm confused. Well, I'm, I'm typically confused because I forgot what our mission is and why we exist. What are some things just as an organization, whether it's a team, whatever it might be that we can kind of have some checks and balances to make sure those things are aligned. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think what great organizations do that really fulfill this, the question you're asking is they keep the purpose front of mind, but they bring it down to reality very quickly Mm. in examples of success and examples of where they've fallen short Mm. to achieving their purpose. And they then link individuals to the success and not necessarily in public on the failure piece, but they also create a learning opportunity where employees and teams and even leaders have fallen short. And they make it real. They take a purpose and a vision or a mission and they bring it to reality day in and day out for their customers, for their employees. And it's not something that stands kind of over there in the corner. It is a part of the fabric of the organization. So mm-hmm. town hall meetings, one-on-ones with leaders, mm-hmm. you name it, making sure that you are 
communicating internally, externally to your constituents mm -hmm. is the way you keep that culture and that vibe alive. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I've found with you is in our breakfasts, our many meetings is we have the values conversation, the principles conversations, the people are important conversations, the joy of seeing people achieve and growing themselves and becoming more and, and kind of how satisfying is that and what an opportunity for us as a leader to play a role in somebody's development. But we've also kind of talked a little bit about the IQ and the EQ because at the same time is what I think is fascinating about you is you are an intellectual guy. You're a PhD. You're also a baseball player. Yeah. You're a competitor. One of the things I've heard in maybe sometimes loving, but not so loving ways in our breakfast is it's like, what the hell is up with that, Dermot, based on how are you guys scoring? What's the scoreboard say? Yeah. They're two very important parts of the equation, right? Because it's like, hey, if you want to lose weight, then stand on the scales. Right. How do you manage those conversations regards <laughs> of, you know, because you can also be the type of coach who breaks somebody's spirit. Yeah. You can be the type of parent who's, they want it so bad for their kid that they're demotivating the yeah. kid. How do you balance those? It's a very fine line. Mm. I'm not a cheerleader mm. without accountability. Mm -hmm. I'm not someone who's going to drive someone, drive someone, drive someone without meaning behind that drive. Mm -hmm. What I do is I'm not easy, by no, the way, I to know. work with. You ask anyone who's worked for me, and hopefully a great majority <laughs> of them will have found the experience right. a beneficial one because I'm very direct, I'm candid, yep. I'm honest. I try and grab the six inches between the mm -hmm. ears of an individual mm -hmm. and connect it with the heart of that individual. And more importantly then, connect that head that heart with the hands mm -hmm. of that individual. Mm -hmm. And that's the role I like to play. That's what drives me. What I don't have time for, and, and this is where you got to do the watch out, is for individuals who want to go through the exercise but not do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, life is pretty darn short. Mm -hmm. And I will give my all to somebody, yeah. but it's got to come back yeah. somehow, some yeah. way. If I'm just giving and I'm yeah. not getting, and getting for me is seeing someone learn, grow, and develop, that's mm. fulfilling to me. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what motivates me, yeah. is that kind of drive for yeah. myself. Yeah. But if I'm not seeing it, I start to disengage, to right. be honest. Well, that's fair. You respect your time. You're there to help. Yeah. But what I'm also hearing in, in that formula for people is, is the fact that, Dermot, you're in charge you're in of charge. yourself. That's right. You're in charge. And you can't coach somebody. Bobby Knight, you say, I can find people who want to win. But it's rare to find somebody who prepares to win. Yeah. And in our relationship, I always demonstrated to you that I'm, I'm really passionate and I'm interested and I want to learn. And you and I had some breakfast. And then, you know, I'm like, hey, let me show you what, what's happened since our conversation. And one of the things you said to me was, I'm excited about this because you've done it. Yeah. But I also know that in order for somebody to get coaching and get help from others, you do have to take that personal responsibility. But the great question is, is to ask somebody, you know, maybe somebody doesn't have, they've gotten lost in somebody else's dream, somebody else's goal, somebody else's company, and they've lost sight of themselves. And this personal responsibility to come to the table saying, here's what I want to aspire to. Here's yeah. what I want to achieve. And then not knowing how to, how to create the environment to do that. Not knowing how to not get distracted because you right. can learn all that stuff, right? right? The motivation piece is big. You know, obviously what motivates you is others. Yeah, right? I get my energy from others. Mm -hmm. I would be miserable sitting in an office, interacting with a computer for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. 
I need the human spirit in my life. If it's my kids, if it's my wife, it's my siblings, if it's relatives, if it's employees, or as we call them, invasive share owners, I need to feel that energy. Mm-hmm. It's part genetics, but it's also part the environment that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I grew up in that household of 10 kids with very loving siblings mm-hmm. who, you know, in a good way would beat me up and another way would be there to, to give you a hug at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, my sole purpose, my purpose on this earth is about really helping other people transform. And I, I look forward to sharing some of these stories with you. They're, they're just absolutely fulfilling to me. But I love to see people transform beyond what they ever expected they could mm-hmm. do. Well, I want to ask you about one story that you've told me before about a lady who you helped from a previous company and went on to great things. But when you don't feel motivated, the encourager of others, the motivator of others, typically the reason we do those things is because we need them ourselves. What do you do when you don't feel motivated? How do you get your mojo back? Do you ever have days like that? It's called red wine. (laughs) (laughs) Or a pint of Guinness. All right, right, that's good. Yeah, fair enough, Arthur Guinness. (laughs) You take the Guinness over the red wine. Transform the country. (laughs) You know, what you're talking about is reality. Mm. For anyone to sit here and think, for my 55 years so far, Mm. I've been full on all 55, I'd be absolutely disingenuous Mm -hmm. in saying that. Mm -hmm. I have my ups and my downs, and when I have my downs, I have the ecosystem that I call on, and it's both spiritual, and it's uh, familial, and Mm -hmm. friends and nature, Mm -hmm. and quite frankly, if I'm not at my best, I know it. I have that level of introspection Mm -hmm. to know when I'm falling up a little short, Mm -hmm. and uh, there are people in my life that I trust who say, you know what, you got a bit too much of an edge right now. Mm. Maybe you need to Mm. pull it back. Mm. And that's good. You have to have people like that in your life. Mm. You have your own dashboard. You know when your oil is running down. You know when you're slightly off. Yeah. Give me an example of something that you do to kind of get your energy back, kind of get fired and firing up the engines. I will tell you, people talk about this work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I've heard about it. People are going through all sorts of different solutions to solve and address it. And the mistake a lot of companies are making is they're dealing with it at the company level. It's a very individual thing, Mm -hmm. work-life balance. My work-life balance is very different from yours. The way I reset is I make sure that I have very clear boundaries between my work life and my personal life. And that there are things outside of work that are going to pull me that are going to pull me outside of work. Mm -hmm. And that's where I find my energy. Mm -hmm. If it's my two children and getting them off to the University of Colorado, if it's my wife and helping her in any of her activities or any relative or siblings. I mean, just in the past week, I've helped four different individuals in my family with resumes and job search. Mm -hmm. So that actually, believe it or not, is refreshing for me. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, serving others, helping others grow. Tell me about the lady who you worked with, and where was it? It was Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. So early on in my career, the individual's name is Anita Vandiver. Okay. And Anita, back in 1989, 1990. What were you doing for the organization? I was uh, the head of human resources for, (laughs) I was not, but I did as part of my training. Did you? It was important to know what to do. Yep. But, you know, at that point in time, I was heading human resources for a region of the Central Division of Pizza, which was the Chicago region. I was an HR generalist, kind of working on employee relations issues, turnover issues, all that kind of stuff. And my assistant, my administrative assistant at that point in time, her name was Anita Vandiver. 
And Anita and I had a great relationship, and she was smart, and she was driven. And I remember in an individual development conversation we had, we called them back then individual development plans, mm-hmm. I asked Anita, I said, what do you want to do? Pete, I want to do what you're doing. Hmm. And you want to know something? I looked at her, I said, you can do it. And so what we did was put a plan in place for her to actually finish her college degree, and she actually went on to finish her master's degree from University of Illinois. We put a plan in place to get her generalist experience, field training experience. I got her out of the administrative role, and back then she was probably making in the low 20s, mid to low 20s in base salary. And quite frankly, I ended up moving to Wichita with Pizza Hut, and I followed her career for a while. But before you know it, 2004, she was the HR director for the Chicago region, I found out, because the head of HR for Pizza Hut had called wow. me, found out where I was, and told me that. Anita and I reconnected, and I said, what's next for you, Anita? She mm. goes, I want to be a chief HR officer. So you know, Anita, you could do it. Let's talk about some of those things that need to happen. Next thing you know, she's the chief HR officer, chief people officer for Sonic, the food chain. Wow. And she's in Oklahoma. She is now an adjunct professor in the Human Relations Department at University of Oklahoma. But probably in my lifetime, an individual who represents what drives me the most. She personally transformed herself. And it came down to having a purpose, having a plan of action, executing and focus. That's an awesome story. You know, the thing about it is what I hear a couple of things in that is one is that you truly are a coach. I mean, you know, one of the reasons we connected is because you got to see what we do for a living and you're like, this is what I'm into. I love this. What I also heard in that is a little bit of somebody has to be vulnerable and take a risk and not get trapped in, oh, I'm only making 25 grand a year. Who the heck am I to say I want to have your job? But for someone to put themselves out like that to their boss that's a moment in time that's a moment of greatness I would call where you're going to be vulnerable enough to kind of put out what you're aspiring to yeah I think that is something that I am consistently learning to do to take a chance in that area but how key is that it's incredibly important in relationships in any relationship by the way this isn't now we're talking primarily work relationships here but for leaders you know putting people typecasting them putting them in boxes stereotyping their skill sets and what they're always going to be and they always will be is very dangerous. And taking the blinders off Mm -hmm. and understanding that anybody can do anything they want Mm -hmm. as long as they have the head, heart, and hands all aligned and they execute, anything's possible. Mm -hmm. Anything is possible. And the last part of what you said is in, in the previous question is find others that can help you. That's right. You need to do that because the last thing you want to feel is to be lonely out there in your pursuit. Now, it takes the extreme individual to be able to do it all on their own, and there are people who've done it, I'm sure, out there. But in my experience, in my lifetime, engaging others in your journey is probably one of the most important things any one individual can do. Mm-hmm. That's great stuff, Pete. The principles probably stay the same, but the world has changed. There's parents on here who are concerned about their kids in high school. What sort of world are we going into? You know, What, what advice would you give high school or preparing for college that they should really focus on? I mean, obviously you've given a great outline here, but is there anything that you would give to a high school or a college kid to say, you know, the world has changed, but these things haven't changed, and here's what I would do if I were you? Yeah, so great question. And and my response hopefully applies to parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, whoever has a relationship with a, a young child, a student, 
but it comes down to, now let's go to high school and college students first. You have to think about yourself actually as a product. Mm. Think about that with features, benefits, and capabilities. Mm. Because there is a world out there that wants a product that is going to meet and fulfill a need. I'm a big believer, and let me stay in the public company setting or even private company setting right now. If you've got knowledge, skills, and abilities, product and features that differentiate yourself from others, and there is a demand in the marketplace for that, you will have a wonderful career. Mm. If you're a commodity as a product, and your expectations are to not be treated as a commodity because you haven't differentiated yourself, then you'll have a tough go at it. So when I sit down with people, I'm like, why would I hire you? Why would I hire you? What can you do for this company? Mm -hmm. And it sounds very kind of stern and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of off-putting, but no, it's actually a very good thing for people to think about. Mm -hmm. If you're an athlete, if you're a leader of a company, what is it that differentiates yourself from others? And I think far too many high school students, I feel far too many young adults in college don't think about this piece of it. Mm -hmm. What is going to differentiate yourself? You've got to take the risk. We get it. But I will tell you, you have to have a plan that is going to set yourself apart. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that resides in the ability to want to take risk. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's also understanding before you go into that job interview, A, what you bring to the table, but does it align with what that company is trying to achieve? Yeah. Doing the research and preparing as regards to these two products align. Do they support each other? Right. It's great stuff. Yeah. Otherwise, the product will have a short life cycle. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like in the value proposition, identifying, okay, what am I good at? What do I bring to the table? What do I want? What am I aspiring to? In the interviewing process, what are the character qualities you're looking for? Oh, simple. Put the ticket to entry skills aside, ability to do the job, that kind of stuff, intellect to do the job, etc. It is an individual's ability to learn, grow, and develop. Mm. If they come in and they've learned all they need to learn <laughs> and <laughs> don't see the need to develop yeah. and as a result will never grow, I've just made a really bad hiring decision. Mm. And by the way, that individual made a really bad decision to come work in right. my organization right. because, as I said before, it's a two-way street. So I look in the interview process for those people who have failed, who've mm. got up, dusted themselves off, made some adjustments in their plan, and went and executed. And they showed me throughout that process, that cycle of failure, if you will, a level of introspection. What did they learn from it? Yeah, what did they learn from it? Brilliant stuff. My brother has a saying that says people are starving for truth and drowning in information. Is there headwinds out there right now that are kind of blowing that weren't blowing before? Or is it kind of the same stuff? Yeah. I mean, if you were entering the workforce, if you were in a career right now, you're now really in the mentoring side. You have been there, done that. I'm sure there's no end of phone calls you can get from people and companies to work with. Uh, you're in a different stage of your career. But as you're kind of like thinking about it today... Is there anything that you think is, you know, Facebook and social media, yeah. things like this that exist that didn't, that, that people need to navigate? I think technology is, is obviously the biggest bleep on the radar screen. It is something that is both a blessing and a curse. I still believe relationships, that's how business gets done. It's how relationships develop. 
Now, as I say that, I think about, you know, last night I'm upstairs and my son's downstairs and we're texting back and forth <laughs> about where we want to go to dinner. So I could have got off my behind yeah. and, you know, said, hey, where do you want to go? But that's yeah. a good example. But you're talking. But we're talking. We're communicating, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? But yeah. I think the interpersonal human face-to-face dynamic is one that we're raising the red flag on this one as a society in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think we're ever going to go back to where we've been. Mm-hmm. I think we got to be very careful about how we leverage technology in the future, especially as the how work gets done. You know, someone asked me about robots in the workplace, and I said, when robots come into the workplace, that's the day I go sit on the beach. <laughs> I have no desire yeah. to interface with yeah. the robots. So. Yeah, right. I mean, they're working on it, right? There's people working on artificial intelligence and emotions. And somebody told me the other day, you can buy this robot that will talk to you so you don't feel lonely. It'll talk to you and you answer questions. I blah, guess. Blah, blah. I know it is a different environment. But, you know, the other side of it is we at Buffini Company, you know, we do check out people's social media footprint. Yeah. Which I remind my kids, it's like, you're 15 now. My daughter's 15, Kate. My son, Jack, is 12. They're on there. We guard it. We look at it. But whether it's public or private, the decisions you make today and the choices you make today can live with you a long time if you're not careful. No doubt. Or the brand you build on social media footprint, you could be 10 years sitting down the road and somebody goes, can you explain this to me? Exactly. It's much harder for kids today. Yeah. There's a lot more accountability. Yeah. I think beyond parents or a parent with single households, creating that environment. I think schools, institutions really need to start educating these children on how to utilize those tools. Because you're right. I mean, there are some kids who've just made some really bad decisions at a young age. And I wish I could say they fully knew what they were getting into, but mm, yeah. no, yeah. the brain's not fully developed, mm-hmm. not until your mid-20s. So mm-hmm. let's be careful with this. But technology is, is the yeah. blessing and the curse. Sure. Well, it's going back to something that you said earlier on. I mean, if somebody walks in and they blow it on social media, they blow it publicly and it's, it's out there, sometimes an employer won't even bring that person in. Now, that's really harsh. Right. If I was 15, 16, if I had the things that I was thinking, doing, throwing rocks at things and whatever yeah. else when I was 15, 16, right. maybe 12, 13, whatever, <laughs> you know, it, it would be a hard environment. But I think going back to what you're saying earlier, if somebody takes ownership for that, even in an interview that says, hey, where have you failed? Yeah. You can say, well, let me tell you one way. Like, yeah. don't hide it. That's right. Address it head on. Face Demo- into it. Yeah. Demonstrate that you learned from that. Yeah. Demonstrate that you blew it. Yeah. And, you know, I often think if I could get a guy or a gal who's in their early 20s who's had some life experience where they understand the difference between good and bad and what wisdom is, because I don't think wisdom is confined by an age thing. I think it's to do with experience. Mm -hmm. But I just think there's great power in that based on what you're saying about failures. It's like don't hide from them, don't run for them, communicate them and get up, dust off, learn from it. Love it. What would you say to someone who's in a career kind of feeling stale? probably been in the job a long time and knows everything about the company or knows everything about the job but it's kind of in a rut what advice would you give them just to find their mojo this is where i see people making mistakes mm. and uh, it's not en masse but i've seen it i've seen it in my personal life with several family members i've certainly seen it among friends but even the greater community a lot of people come to me for words of advice and They get complacent, and they don't continue to learn, grow, and develop. And because of that, what happens is they wake up one morning, and they find out their knowledge, skills, and abilities. There's no demand in the marketplace. And, oh, my God, the game has changed. And now I'm 45, or I'm 50 years old, 
and what do I do now? So the key for those individuals, especially, let, let me target my message to those in their 30s and early 40s. You better be thinking about now how you continue to transform who you are mm -hmm. in the work setting. I'm specifically talking about work and who is part of your ecosystem mm -hmm. to help you transform. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people you and I both know who've come back to work. Some of them were mothers for yep. for 10 to 15 years yep. and they've come back and they've applied a skill set they had before, potentially at a lower level where they were before, but they hit the reset button. They put themselves on a different trajectory. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it's risky but there's reward in it because the other alternative is you become complacent, your skill set demand in the marketplace has evaporated, and then you're in a position where, oh my God, I have no choice but to transform now. What you're saying as well is if you consider yourself as a product, what you have value to bring to the market. You referred a lady to us named Julie Hennessy. I was looking for a sales manager, a director of sales, and you're like, I got an awesome lady to you. And when I met her, myself and Terry King sat down to meet with her. We were like, wow, this lady's energy is fantastic. But she had one little area that she wasn't so sure about, but I latched onto just based on what you're saying, which I think, you know, it's very easy, especially for ladies who are in the workforce. Now, again, guys stay home now as well. I have a friend of mine, her husband, he stays home with the kids. She goes to work and, and is the breadwinner. But a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of ladies who stay home and then they're home with the kids for five, six, seven years. And then they think, I'm done. And they might be 35, 40 years of age. But I think what I hear you saying is even with Julie coming in, realizing you're raising teenagers, <laughs> you're managing different schedules, you've had to uh, manage your own emotions and managing theirs. You've got to have a certain level of leadership. But I think I love what you said as regards thinking of yourself as a product, no matter what the circumstances are. Yeah, yeah I've been home with the kids, but here's what I learned. Right. And here's what I bring to the table. Am I kind of joining the dots there? Exactly. And Julie Hennessy is a great example of how the capabilities she acquired while being a mother, and she still is a yep. mother, but in those formative years for her children, directly apply to the work yeah, setting. Absolutely. Directly apply. And for someone to connect the dots, a leader, a hiring manager, to understand how to connect those dots is vital. That is an important part of our labor pool, regardless if it's a man or a woman coming back, re-entering the workforce, making sure that they can articulate the story around what their value is as a product, quote-unquote product, to a business. There's so many more questions I could ask you about organization, culture, but I want to bring up the M word, which is the millennial factor. Okay. I have a friend of mine who will not hire millennials. He hmm. said to me, I will not hire another millennial. He goes, what about you? I go, I love millennials. We are hiring them hand over fist. And I can tell you why that is here in a few minutes, but I'm curious about you know the millennial factor. What's your take on that? I don't care about it. I love it. It's an interesting question. It's a dynamic topic that will create lots of interesting cocktail hour dialogue. But at the end of the day, I decipher what really matters to human beings, regardless of what generation they are, comes down to fulfilling meaning in the work environment. And the more we start to draw boundaries and typecast people by generation, the more dangerous it becomes. You know, there are people who have different needs and you solve at that level. Don't solve at a generation of 10 or 20 million people. I mean, that's just crazy, in my right. opinion. Right. Lead at the individual level. Mm, I love that. Well, we were all millennials once, weren't we? I'm a baby boomer. Yeah. You're a baby boomer. Yeah. It's like 
did people treat us any differently? I don't know. Yeah. But I really don't think about it. Yeah, right. Well, one thing we found is millennials have the right idea. They've got the right idea. What is it? Please share. <laughs> they come in understanding the purpose part. Yeah. They understand the meaning part. They're like, hey, I've seen people pursue riches. I've seen my mom and my dad go to work, work their tail off. We've got the bigger house. We've got the boat. We've got the two cars. But they weren't at my games. Yeah. They got the professional achievement down, but they didn't get the personal fulfillment down. And I suffered because of that. Yeah. So what I find is millennials come to work at Buffini Company. They're like, I want to work at something that has meaning. Okay, great. Here's our mission. Impact and improve the lives of people. Does that resonate with you? Number two is I want to make sure that I'm living a fulfilled life. They're also coming out of college, a lot of these guys, where they're under the gun straight away. You know, there's some dynamics. There are some headwinds blown. And that's exactly what you've kind of outlined here. I think what we've done well at Buffini Company is when we're able to hold out what that meaning looks like, then the element of, okay, how do you get there? Yeah. And you're going to have to work your tail off. Nobody's going to give it to you. You're going to have to take charge. I know that mom and dad did their best to take out all the suffering in your life and help you along those ways, and that's not good for you. You're going to suffer here at Buffini and Company. We're going to make you suffer. We're going to work you like a rented mule. No, we're not. Yes, we kind of are. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's learning the value of how to work and how to achieve that so that you can have that goal and that meaning. And I think they got the right idea. And I think our job as a company is to help them understand how do you get there and help them get there. Right. I totally agree. I just keep it at the individual level, and I make sure that once leaders really start to dilute their focus beyond an individual they're leading in a way that their ultimate effect on those who work for them is diminished mm -hmm. because they're not making it personally meaningful mm -hmm. for those individuals. Mm -hmm. Again, there's so much I can talk to you about, obviously the culture of a company and, and all that sort of stuff. And we might have to do a part two of this, but you know, you are a psychologist, you are a development person for people, mm -hmm. you know, that's your full-time job. When you met Buffini and company, you dug it, didn't you? I mean, what was it about the work that we're doing that aligned with you? Because we're kind of in the same business. Oh, I mean, your purpose, your mission as a company, what you do day in and day out, what your employees do to help serve in the real estate and the brokerage community is so cool, so admirable. It's fulfilling to at least been a part of the way I've been mm -hmm. able to be a part of it, mm -hmm. to see it grow by taking care of those individuals that you serve it's the home run mm -hmm. it's check the box mm -hmm. on this one purpose and performance mm -hmm. you guys have nailed it it's pretty impressive to see well i think the thing i've enjoyed about you is i don't know your business and i don't know the businesses that you've been in but we're kindred spirits in that our values and the principles align completely and it's been tremendously helpful for me as my job to be how do I help develop people yeah. being that top of my mind well as I said I could go on I could do maybe three more podcasts with you maybe we might have to do a few more with Dr. Leddy mm -hmm. but let me talk to my friend Pete here I want to ask you some rapid fire questions you good with that I'm good with it bring All it right. on let me ask you this what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given that's a great question there is a friend of mine locally Dr. Marshall Goldsmith Mm. psychologist yeah. uh, you what know got you here won't get you there and author of other books but incredible executive coach mm. his research team went out and they interviewed a bunch of 90 to 95 year olds people who were on their deathbed getting ready to leave the physical earth we know and asked them a simple mm. question what advice do you have to those who mm. follow mm -hmm. number one be happy now mm. not in two days mm -hmm. 
not in two weeks, not in two months, not in two years, not in two decades. Be happy now. Mm-hmm. It's about friends and family, individuals who are going to come to your funeral service. How much are you investing time and energy mm-hmm. with them? That's great. Back to your point, dad wasn't there at my baseball game or he wasn't there at my volleyball game, whatever. And if you have a dream, go for it. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, Marshall is such a brilliant man, but to distill life down into three very simple terms and words of wisdom for me was pretty telling. And I want to tell you, one of the things I think about Be Happy Now is I don't know an individual I have interacted with in this lifetime who's got out of bed and said, I want someone to treat me like crap today. (laughs) There is not one person I know. So what happens between when they get up and when they go to bed is a bunch of interactions. Mm -hmm. And some of them good, some of them bad. Mm -hmm. But you've got to understand, be happy now means you're in control. Mm -hmm. And if you've got something coming at you, an individual, an event, something, you have the control on emotionally how to respond to that. Love it. Be happy now. And that's a choice you can make. That's a choice. Nobody else is going to make it for you. You can own that one. That's right. Love it. All right. I don't know how you'd answer this because you've got so many gifts and talents, but what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Oh, this is an easy one. I sing. All right. And I'll tell you, I'm so bad, I won't even sing to myself in the shower. <laughs> uh, what would you sing? What would be your genre? Uh, probably rock. Like. Country, though. Country now. Is country? I'm really into it. Right. Yeah, I love country music. All right. Very meaningful. Hillbilly from North Chicago. <laughs> I don't know. All right. What book has been most instrumental in your life? The Speed of Trust mm-hmm. by Stephen Covey. Nice. God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. He's a man who left this earth too soon. Mm-hmm. His legacy will live on. But the speed of trust, if you haven't read it, I strongly encourage it. Trust cuts across every facet of our lives. And his teachings and learning in there are beyond impressive. Mm-hmm. They're life-changing. He's a reflective man. A very reflective man. Real quick, Greg Lucier, previous podcast guest you and him have a very dynamic relationship you told me what your contract is we have a very simple contract with each other and that is the day he loses trust in me is the day i walk out the door the day i lose trust in him Mm -hmm. is the day i walk out the door i walk out the door either way okay (laughs) yeah but what that does is it Mm -hmm. creates a sense of liberation for Mm -hmm. me it's not the uh, immunity stick yep i don't abuse it yep but it's it's very important for me to be my very best to him and to mm-hmm. our employees. He needs to understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've shared a lot of advice over the years, and he's listened to most of it. Some of it he's rolled his eyes at me, and I've turned out to be right, yeah. you know. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Trust. But that trust is a great yardstick, right? But I love that. The Speed of Trust by Dr. Stephen Covey, great author and thinker. So what's your favorite song? Hotel California. Oh, man. I like it. Huh? It's a great Great song. I like that Great one. melody. Right. Great, just a Southern California vibe. Yeah. You can check in. Yeah, you but you can't out. check out. It's like Buffini called That's me. right. <laughs> check in. What <laughs> movie do you watch over and over? What's a favorite? Call Me Strange, but I'm not a big watching two movies no, kind of guy. that's me. My life is too short, and to spend another 120 minutes watching something that I've already watched, either I'm not smart enough to have gotten it the first time, but I'd rather spend those 120 minutes doing something else with somebody else instead of passively watching a movie. But no one movie steps out. No. No. No Rudy. No, there's some cargo gr- oh, I love Rudy. I love Titanic. I mean, there's some great Gone with the Wind. There's some great movies out there, but 
You're living. Life is your movie. That's right. People is your movie. I don't. Yeah. Love it. Well, you've given me an hour of your time. You've given our listeners an hour of your time. You're a great man. A bright man. I've enjoyed learning from Dr. Letty, but I've enjoyed my friendship with Pete Letty more than anything. And we've had some good fun on the golf course. And I'm looking forward to more times. But thank you so much for sharing so generously. This is some great stuff here. I think it applies across the board, no matter where people are in their life. I love you. I appreciate you. And thanks again for being so generous with your time today. Dermot, thank you. And I want to thank all the employees of the Buffini Company for making a difference day in and day out. Mm, Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Pete. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, don't forget to head over and leave a review on iTunes. Uh, We love hearing the feedback and the reviews help spread the word. So let us know your feedback. They also let me know the kind of stuff that you're enjoying and what content we can bring to you in the future. And as I finish here today, I'll leave you with a little Irish blessing that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. Until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Oh,